Welcome, everybody, to a on-the-road version of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell. Uh, to those that are new here, thank you for coming ab aboard. I was just on part of the problem with the great Guy Swan, Robbie the Fire Bernstein, and Dave Smith, my mentor, I guess you would say, in the game. And uh, it was a great episode. So if you haven't checked that out, head over to Part of the Problem and check it out. It was a two-part episode where we break down what we perceive coming in the future of the economy. And uh, it was tremendously positive feedback so far. And apparently Dave liked it so much. And I think his audience will like it so much that he's planning on doing it regularly. So it'll be the four of us. I don't know how often quarterly or something like that, where we break down what we see in the economy, what we see in different asset classes. I guess I'll probably be the real estate guy. Guy will handle the crypto side. And then Robbie will handle the sandwich cost increases because I know that's all he really cares about. If you'd like to support the show, go to toplobster.com. There's a link in the description where you can pick up a shirt. It's always a great way to not just support the show, but also to let people know about it. Because trust me, when you wear this shirt, people will ask you questions and you can then tell them, hey, you want to get red pilled, bro? It's always fun. And sometimes you'll lose some friends too, but whatever. So on that episode of Part of the Problem, I had talked about a little bit uh, why I thought that interest rates had started to increase prior to the Fed actually interest, uh, increasing the Fed funds rate. <clears throat> and I, and my theory was that it was likely that foreign countries had stopped purchasing treasuries. I knew that they had already been decreasing to some extent, but I didn't know if it was dramatic enough that that was the, the actual cause or if there was some underlying issue that I wasn't aware of. So where do you go? Who else do you talk to then? Yeah, exactly. So we got uh, foreign foreigners sold the most U.S. stocks on record in March. Uh, China dumps treasury holdings to lowest since 2010. Zero hedge is always the best at finding this stuff. And that's where I found it. They said bonds were bid and stocks offered globally in March. According to the latest TIC data, foreigners bought $48.8 billion in treasuries down from $75.3 billion in February. So that's like 33% drop. Uh, they also bought 33 billion in long-term corporate bonds up from 20 billion. So it, what that means to me is that the foreigners are shifting from buying our treasuries to corporate bonds, which is an interesting change. And then foreigners sold a record 94, uh, 94 billion in corporate stocks up from 25 billion in sales in February. So that means that they, in March, they were heavily dumping U.S. stocks. So they front ran the collapse here. I think that's interesting. I also think that that's probably why we saw mortgage rates start to inch up prior to the Fed announcing their half point hike uh, last week. So my theory was correct. That is that is why, at least part of why, uh, interest rates are increasing. And you should be aware of that because as we've discussed many times on my show and on guest appearances all over the place, there is no bigger factor when it comes to the ultimate price of real estate other than interest rates. In a debt-based economy, you're going to be shifting your uh, buying habits tremendously when it comes to big uh, sticker price items like, like a house. If you have to pay 5% interest over a 30-year loan versus 2.5% interest. I mean, it just it's logical. It's obvious. Uh, if you need me to explain that further, I won't figure it out. It goes on to say that in treasuries, divergence between foreign official institutions, which is central banks and wealth funds, 
Uh, they sold 32 billion and foreign private institutions, which are investors, bought 82 billion. So that's very interesting. So the central banks are going the opposite direction of the private institutional investors. They say it seems the world's major foreign official institutions liquidated treasuries for cash and liquidity as Putin invaded Ukraine, led by a 74 billion sale by Japan and China dumping another 15 billion to its lowest US, US treasury holding level since 2010, which as you know, was essentially the bottom of the market, uh, both in stocks and real estate after the Great Recession. And the last interesting thing to note is that uh, as treasury holdings dropped, gold reserves surged to new record highs. And I don't have exact figures here, but you can see in the chart, if you're watching this on YouTube, that there's a massive divergence between gold reserves and treasury reserves. I don't understand really why gold prices haven't seen a, a major increase given how much they've been acquiring, the central banks have been acquiring, but they're not. And I don't know if this is a product of the, the divergence between the, the paper price of gold and the physical price. There's so much uh, fuckery afoot when it comes to the gold market, precious metals market across the board. And it's just not my purview. It's not my uh, expertise. So I'm not going to theorize as to why that is. But I, I think it's pretty bullish for gold. And it, it could be that the the cost for miners goes up because of cost of input, you know, resources, electricity, oil, oil and gas, things like that. I'm not sure. Uh, so I'll, I'll do more research on that and I will uh, update you once I get a better handle on it. Uh, obviously, there's been tremendous uh, just upheaval in the market across the board. So I guess that could be another factor that there's just a liquidity need. So people are selling everything across the board to deal with margin calls, et cetera. I don't know. Uh, so there's a lot there's a lot of factors that go into evaluating the any asset class, but much less the the entire stock market across the board. So I'm trying to figure this out as I go. So hang in there. I always get a few thousand more listeners when uh, I go on part of the problem. So if you guys are new here, this is I do a lot of economic analysis because that was really my expertise. But it, if that bores you, hang in there. I will also deal with more of the topical libertarian type oriented stuff. And just if you're a liberty minded conservative or even a lefty that is sick of the insanity of the left, I think that you'll find interesting topics that I cover here. Tonight's episode is going to be essentially a potpourri of different things that I've been reading over the past week or so since I haven't done an episode. And uh, I do these from time to time. This is essentially your, your window into how I am coming to my conclusions when I make my analysis uh, politically, economically, everything. Uh, I, I read, as you'll see, a very diverse uh, list of providers to try and come to my own conclusions. I do not read strictly conservative or left or libertarian articles. I really try and uh, get a diverse set of opinions because everyone is biased and everyone's full of shit. And I have to just glean whatever truth I can going through all that information. And you'll get to see if you like how I do it. I think you will. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Young Americans for Liberty. Uh, they are actually right now working on recruiting people to be an election coordinator. And this is not a volunteer position. This is a paid position. So if you are one of the young listeners out there that is motivated to go and either get your start in politics, just feel like you're contributing something because Lord knows we need uh, more people out there contributing things. And uh, if you want to get a start, this is a good way to do it. And you can also make some money, which is not bad. 
So what does it mean to be an election coordinator? Election coordinators are the front lines for liberty on YAL, that's Young Americans for Liberty, endorsed deployments. Election coordinators will flood the district for an authentic liberty candidate through grassroots door knocking. This is not a volunteer position. This is an opportunity to dive headfirst in the political action world, serve as a real field staffer, meet lifelong friends, and travel the country. Each election coordinator will deploy in an assigned district serving on location and meeting real people every day. Training will be conducted on site and team members will work with a partner to achieve their goals. Election coordinators are provided up to $2,800 a month in starting pay, which is pretty good. On top of that, though, you get 100% free housing. Woo, that's big. And then you get gas reimbursement. And if you've looked at the price of gas, you're going to want to be reimbursed. They want to ensure that they have the best talent pool possible. And that's why they reached out to me to put this message out there, because they know that if you are interested in electing pro-liberty candidates, Liberty Lockdown, you are my people and they are yours and vice versa. It's a beautiful symbiotic relationship. So they are willing to do what it takes to ensure that they win. And I know that I have a few listeners, maybe a couple hundred that are interested in doing something like this. And this is how you get your start. So if you're ready for the experience, apply at yaliberty.org forward slash knock. Again, the description will have the link yaliberty.org forward slash knock. If you heard my explanation of uh, ESG, the discussion about BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, then you already know where I'm going with this, but I want to give you guys a little update. Bloomberg had an article a couple of days ago uh, titled, Is a Backlash Brewing Against Woke ETF Giants? ETF stands for Exchange Traded Funds, for those that don't know. Uh, BlackRock and Vanguard own about 15% of every U.S. company. Let me repeat that. BlackRock and Vanguard own about 15% of every U.S. company. But one upstart ETF issuer contends they aren't voting their shares the way investors want. Uh, well, maybe I'm that one ETF, one upstart ETF issuer named Clint Russell. Uh, BlackRock and Vanguard collectively own about 15% of every U.S. company, but are they voting their shares in a way that aligns with investors in their funds? One new exchange-traded fund company, Strive Asset Management, says they aren't, claiming they've gone against their fiduciary duty by becoming too woke and forming an ideological cartel. Now it has plans to offer alternatives. Give them a look, seriously. If you are the type, of, if you're a passive investor and you don't want to deal with all this stuff, take a look at Strive Asset Management. I, they're not paying me anything. I just... Like this is the free market answer to still keeping your money invested, but doing it with a money manager that isn't a Marxist psychopath. It's about damn time. We need competition. I'm still a free market guy, despite the fact that I hate these alleged free market money managers. Uh, I would love to see free market solutions. That's why I talk about this stuff. I want entrepreneurs to go out there and fill this market need. There is a huge market need for it because... The vast majority of investors don't even know. They don't even know yet. But a lot of people are waking up. You are some of them. And if you have your money in a passive investment strategy where you have some other scumbag that's managing your assets and they are doing it based off of ESG guidelines, again, ESG being environmental, social, and governance created by the UN and a bunch of the biggest uh, corporations on earth about 18 years ago now, they came to this agreement that they were going to implement stakeholder capitalism over shareholder capitalism, and it is not what you want to be participating in. It is the worst aspects of crony uh, capitalism tied together in basically a, a fascistic Marxist uh, hellscape. 
<laughs> and I don't want my money going to that. And I'm sure, I'm sure that my listeners don't either. So if you have an opportunity to get your money out of their grips, none of this is financial advice, of course. You make your own decisions. I am just a humble analyst that is trying to figure out things just like you. None of this is legal or investment advice whatsoever. So now we're going to get to the meat of tonight's episode, which is a unbelievable piece of investigative research by Revolver News. I, I don't follow these guys often. Take it with a grain of salt until we can actually verify all of this is legitimate. But I'm going to cover it as if it's accurate, at least at first, and we'll we'll figure out if it's true. But it's... I, I trust my audience. Un unlike, you know, the, the CNNs of the world and everybody else um, that thinks that you're too dumb to make up your own mind, I actually think you guys can figure it out. I think you can sense bullshit. I think that the reason that you're already going to some, you know, tiny podcast to figure out what the hell's happening in the world is because you've realized that everybody else is lying to you. So I'm going to try and tell you the truth and let you make up your mind. Huh? How about that? What a novel idea. So, uh, Busted. Biden's Minister of Truth, Nina Jankovic, participated in secret NATO-funded cabal to subvert Western democracies using disinformation as cover. Well, if that's not exactly what our concerns were about, Miss Nina. Yeah, she had me nervous. Um, so if you remember last week, she said something to the effect of, uh, actually, we can play the audio. Here you go. Um, talking about the deep state and things like that, which is a, a thread among conspiracy com communities here in the United States, that there is this secret cabal here in Washington working to undermine the American people. It couldn't be farther from the truth <laughs> as someone who works with and around public servants every day. <laughs> Take it from Nina. Take it from the, the head of the Ministry of Truth. There is no deep state. Uh, Whatever one thinks of the precise term deep state, this is from the article, Nita badly wants everyone to dismiss the very concept of secret groups operating within Washington. She works with and around them, after all, and she says such a cabal or network of cabals does not exist. In fact, Nina does know the truth, and it's the opposite of what she claims above. Nina's name appeared in one of the most explosive and aggressively censored national security leaks of the century. The leak in question exposed the Integrity Initiative, a dark government-funded NGO that appears to have engaged in political meddling and covert influence operations in Western countries under the guise of fighting, quote, disinformation, end quote. Founded in mid-2015 under the auspices of the UK government, funded NGO, quote, Institute for Statecraft, end quote. Well, that sounds fairly Orwellian, does it not? The Integrity Initiative boasted a precociously fashionable motto, defending democracy against disinformation. So Orwellian, just please stop. The Integrity Initiative defended democracy by recruiting secretive clusters of academics, national security bureaucrats, journalists, think tankers, and lobbyists in multiple European countries. These clusters would then be engaged in various ways to address nation-specific threats of so-called Russian disinformation. Could you describe a technocracy any more accurately? I mean, that is head on the nail. In its organization, funding operation structures and rhetoric, the Integrity Initiative is the single best template for understanding how the entire hornet's nest of NGOs, journalists, and national security bureaucrats work secretly and in concert to wage psychological warfare against citizens of the West. One cannot understand how the disinformation industry functions without understanding the little-known and now-defunct Integrity Initiative. Thank the, thankfully, before its demise, hackers leaked a huge swath of internal documents from the Integrity Initiative. More on that leak in a moment, but for now, here's an official description of the clusters from one of those leaked documents. They go on to link to it, and in it, 
I'll just read the highlighted parts. NATO's political committee can play an important role here. An effective network is best achieved by forming in each European country a cluster of well-informed people from the political, military, academic, journalistic, and think tank spheres who will track and analyze examples of disinformation in their country and inform decision makers and other interested parties about what is happening. So yeah, technocracy. Nina Jankowicz's name appears in a 2018 leak as a member of the inner core of the Integrity Initiative's UK cluster, specifically in the subgroup dedicated to Russia. So this lunatic is going to be put in charge of our Ministry of Disinformation. And she has been in charge, or at least a member, for the past four years of this inner core. Incredible. Another name that appears alongside Nina Jankovic's is... Uh, in the leaked documents as a member of the inner core of the UK cluster dealing with Russia is an Apple bomb. Revolver briefly touched upon Applebaum's apparent involvement in the Integrity Initiative in an earlier piece. Applebaum was last seen refusing to comment on the coordinated cover-up of Hunter Biden's laptop. Applebaum's apparent fellow inner core cluster wingman, Nina, repeatedly amplified the U.S. intelligence community's discredited claim that the Hunter Biden laptop was a Russian disinformation operation. If you recall, in October of 2020, Nina tweeted out, back on the laptop from hell, apparently, Biden notes 50 former NATSEC, that's national security officials, and five former CIA heads that believe the laptop is a Russian influence op. Trump says Russia, Russia, Russia. So she is you know, degrading Trump's claims and uplifting the claims of 50 liars. Not that Trump's not a liar, but they are actual professional liars. From the Integrity Initiative's formal description of clusters above, it is somewhat difficult to infer what sort of activity Nina may have been involved in, but as luck would have it, the leaks included documents describing the activity of the Integrity Initiative's Spanish cluster. In 2018, Spain's ruling party attempted to appoint Pedro Baños as head of the country's National Security Department. The Integrity Initiative Spanish cluster, as well as several UK associates, immediately left into action to sabotage the appointment of the allegedly, quote, pro-Kremlin official. The following documents from the leaks detail their efforts. Midday. I'll just read the highlights again. So two o'clock, the cluster starts a campaign on Twitter to try to prevent the appointment. Uh, 3.45, Spanish cluster uh, leaders alert Integrity Initiative UK team, which activates the Integrity Initiative network to generate informational uh, international support for the Twitter campaign. Incredible. UK team creates a WhatsApp group to coordinate the Twitter response, get contacts on Twitter to spread awareness and get people retweeting the material. Publishes opinion piece by Nico De Pedro on Stop Fake Spanish website, which was also retweeted by key influencers. By, let me do my math, 745 Spanish cluster assesses that the campaign has generated significant noise on Twitter. So, wow. Wow. So we have evidence that, I mean, we knew it, but we have evidence now that the governments of the world or these think tanks are basically astroturfing, uh, you know, outrage online, which anybody who's at all conspiracy minded already theorized that and knew it. But the fact that we have evidence of it and it's Nina that was involved in it, that's a pretty big deal. The result of the Integrity Initiative's campaign was swift and decisive. After a week of lobbying, then Spanish Prime Minister, uh, Minister Pedro Sanchez uh, named a different man to the post. So it worked. They got the pro-Russia guy out. Despite ostensibly defending democracy against disinformation, the Integrity Initiative's clusters operated in the shadows to interfere with yet another political event in Spain. Consider the following from a leaked Integrity Initiative progress report. 
Its main means of influence is through academic papers and especially through articles written by independent journalists in newspapers like El País based on material provided anonymously by the cluster. This cluster produced a major study on Russian influence in the Catalan referendum process, which was circulated privately to key influencers in Spain, in Spain including the PM's office and throughout Europe on the Integrity no uh, Initiative Network. Just like uh, with the Banos incident, the government-backed Integrity Initiative injected itself into a political matter, this time the Catalan independence movement. A couple things are especially noteworthy about the operation described above. First, we note the sinister irony that the NATO-funded Integrity Initiative, whose ostensible purpose is to defend democracy against disinformation, was caught red-handed conducting a secretive influence operation to meddle in the internal politics of Spain, a democratic NATO member. Second, we note how crucial, indeed indispensable, the social media platform Twitter was to the influence operations in question. It is precisely the importance of Twitter as a theater for US, UK, and NATO-backed psychological influence operations that informed our analysis of Elon Musk's attempt to purchase the platform. And I was just going to make that point. Well, now you know why they don't want Elon buying this thing. This is also why Twitter doesn't care about making a profit because they are getting funded in other ways. We'll talk about that later. We weren't exaggerating when we described Elon's threat to allow free speech and transparency on Twitter as a declaration of war against the regime. As the Integrities Initiative uh, Initiative's use of the platform shows Twitter's value to U.S.-aligned intelligence agencies as a friendly ground for influence operations far exceeds its nominal value as a technology company. Throughout this article so far, we have repeatedly referred to the Integrity Initiative as state-funded. This isn't idle speculation. The Integrity Initiative took pains to mask the nature of its operations. Its listed address was in Scotland, despite actually operating in London. The Integrity Initiative's funding came from a Scotland-based nonprofit, the Institute for Statecraft, of which it operated under a subsidiary. The Institute for Statecraft presents itself as an independent organization with a wide array of backers, but in reality, the vast majority of its funding comes from the UK government. In its 2018-19 fiscal year, running 18 to 19 uh, of March, the Institute reported 2.2 million pounds in income. How much money did the Institute of Statecraft receive from the British Foreign and Commonwealth Office FCO at that time? 2.2 million pounds. By the way, at the same time, the FCO oversaw both the GCHQ uh, which is Britain's equivalent of the NSA, and MI6, its equivalent of the CIA. As venture capitalist Mark Andreessen once asked, who pays for the disinformation industrial complex? Well, now we know. The answer, it turns out, is you, the American taxpayer. Besides receiving funds from the British FCO, the Integrity Initiative also received funds directly from NATO, a.k.a. the U.S. taxpayer, in addition to funds from the United States Depart uh, State Department. Scumbags. Funding wasn't exclusively government-based, though, because in a fitting symbol of the growing tether between big tech and the security state, the Institute did receive a small chunk of money from Facebook, as the above documents show. Perhaps more ominous than the fact that Facebook funded the Integrity Initiative is the fact that the name Ben Nemo appears as an apparent member of the Integrity Initiative's UK cluster, right there with Nina. At the time of the leak, Ben Nimmo worked for a group called the Digital Forensic Research Lab. The DFR, DFR Lab is a subsidiary of the Atlantic Council, an NGO which is also funded by the British Foreign and Commonwealth Office, NATO, and the State Department. The group brags that it has operation, uh, operationalized the study of disinformation by exposing falsehoods and fake news. Fake news. You know what that means. Nimmo and DFR have become notorious for accusing all sorts of journalists and even random civilians of being Russian bots. I've been called it many a time. The Integrity Initiative's leaked handbook identified Ben Nimmo's DFR lab along with BuzzFeed and a handful of other organizations as friendly outfits or outlets to rely upon when conducting its influence operations. Heyo. 
What is Ben Nimmo's current position? If you guess that Ben Nimmo now works at Facebook and helps to lead Facebook global threat intelligence strategy against influence operations, you'd be correct. So we got Nina who worked there, and she's going to head our Ministry of Truth. And you got Nimmo who now handles the influence operations for Facebook. In other words, these people are insiders that actually do what they are allegedly trying to prevent. Scumbags, treacherous, evil people. You simply can't make this stuff up. <laughs> Nimmo is no stranger to Revolver, and we encourage readers to, to consult our previous work on Nimmo, the Integrity Initiative, and the disinformation industry here. The pictures that emerges so far is, is, is as disturbing as it is undeniable. The Integrity Initiative was a secret government-funded influence operation that engaged secret clusters of journalists and academics to coordinate in an order to meddle in the political process of Western democracies under the guise of combating disinformation and defending democracy. Not only was the Integrity Initiative funded by national security bureaucracies, it conducted itself in precisely the same surreptitious manner one would typically associate with the world of spooks and espionage. One leaked document advises its readers on how to go about recruiting people for a cluster. It reads far more like an intelligence document than a journalism-related one. And let's just jump to the chase here. Because they are. This is an intelligence operation. Be absolutely sure we can trust them before we talk to them is a baffling line for a group whose only purpose is to correct disinformation. PolitiFact and Snopes may or may not produce good fact check reporting, but we highly doubt that they fret about being able to trust whomever they share their work with. But this obsession with trust is quite understandable for a group whose actual purpose is manipulating the public rather than informing them. Even more telling are the lines about funding. Always be firmly vague and helpfully uninformative. Well... If that hasn't been our entire existence for the past two years, uh, about funneling money to cluster members. On the other hand, be very clear about the multiple sources of funding for the Integrity Initiative, which just happen to include the British government and international organizations. This sense that one is reading an intelligence report also permeates the group's uh, progress reports. Read the groups below and ask yourself, or read the quotes below and ask yourself, does this sound like journalism operation or intelligence one? The sensitivities of the political situation in Italy and the extent of Russian influence in political parties means that the cluster must develop cautiously, uh, feeling its way and seeking the best means of having a positive impact. The Athens group is comprised of journalists who operate very discreetly and whose main means of dissemina dissemination is articles and uh, a website. Following the popular quiet revolution in Armenia, we are exploring how we might safely establish an integrity Armenia. One of the Institute's associates who is of the Ar Armenian origin is acting as informal advisor to the new PF, or PM, MFA, and NSA. He is investigating the possibilities, including a journalist friend and a likely cluster leader. The delicate political situation requires that this be done with the utmost caution. Given the recent political trajectory of Czech politics, it may become necessary to review this decision in due course. See, the, I'm, I'm just you know taking snippets from this thing because it's too long to read everything to you. But yeah. That doesn't sound like people that are uh, above board when they are fighting disinformation. It sounds like people that might be sowing disinformation, does it not? The, poli uh, the political trajectory in the Czech Republic, by the way, is the 2018 re-election of anti-immigration president Milos Zeman, who sometimes praised Vladimir Putin, suppo uh, supported Donald Trump's rise in the U.S., and shared Trump's aversion to journalists. Far from sim I like him already. Far, uh, far from simply working about uh, worrying about specific Russian. Uh, lies reaching the West, the Integrity Initiative is really just worried about wider political developments and uh, it vaguely classifies as pro-Russian. What this amounts to is meddling domestically in Western democracies' politics under the guise of combating disinformation. If there were any doubt as to the 
ulterior and disingenuous use of the term disinformation for political purposes, we need to look no further than the Integrity Initiative's own guide to countering Russian disinformation. The guide uh, the guide shrieks about the lies of the Trump administration in a tone scarcely different from the most deranged New York Times articles before saying anything about Russian disinformation at all. The handbook in introduces the concept of disinformation with uh, reference to the two petty pseudo fact checkers in relation to Donald Trump. And in it, they have seven point uh, bullet points. Introduction, no smoke without fire. Why does it happen? Source checking, fact checking, image images, examples, methodology. Uh, I'm just going to skip that. The Integrity Initiative becomes even more suspicious when one looks at how it's organized, reacted when hackers bought, uh, brought attention to their work. The Integrity Initiative leaks began on November 5th, 2018, and were published on an anonymous uh, linked hacker site called Cyber Gorilla. The original Cyber Gorilla website is now defunct, and our reporting has cross-referenced all documents to downloadable versions of the original leaks. Before the 2018 documents document leaks, the Institute for Statecraft Think Tank kept a bland website hosting a handful of sponsored papers and similar work, but shortly after the anonymous document leaked, the Institute took down everything, leaving up only a placeholder with a contact form and a notice that it was temporarily removing its information pending an investigation, and so it has remained for the past three years. <laughs> Busted! Visitors are invited to visit the Institute's Facebook, and its uh, which is defunct, and its Twitter page, inactive since 2019, <laughs> with all three 2019 tweets deleted. Yet despite all appearances of being defunct, it isn't, as it continues to provide information to Scotland's charity ministry. Despite supposedly being wholly innocent and above board, both the Integrity Initiative and the Institute for Statecraft have, for all intents and purposes, closed up shop ever since hackers brought attention to their work and Western government support for it. Uh, we at Revolver were struck by how relatively inaccessible the Integrity Initiative documents were and equally struck with the near total absence of mainstream reporting on what should be the equivalent of the Snowden leaks for the age of disinformation. Depressingly, the right seems to have almost totally ignored the story. Instead, coverage of the Integrity Initiative has been largely confined to marginalized the often high-quality outlets like the Gray Zone, which do great work critiquing the national security state from a left-leaning perspective. We encourage readers to consult. Uh, da, 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 da. Very little of us, uh, very little of this, you'll notice, has dealt with whatever Nina actually did for the Integrity Initiative. This demonstrates an important point. Nina is, in fact, neither remarkable nor particularly important. She is simply one small cog in a vast machine. But they like those cogs. If you uh, if you go along with the program, you can rise, rise, rise. Just like in communism, the man in charge of the Institute for Statecraft and by extension, the Integrity Initiative actually wrote an entire paper suggesting how this machine operates. Before founding the Institute for Statecraft, Chris Donnelly spent 12 years as an advisor to four consecutive NATO secretary generals in a private memo written for members of the British Foreign Office and leaked along with other Integrity Initiative materials. Donnelly describes how in a post-Brexit world, the British government might consider privatizing its influence efforts. So... This guy made it happen. In the above document, Donnelly recognizes the notion that a great degree of government work could be contracted to the private sector, which it, which is allegedly more adaptable to the speed of global change and, more importantly, lacks the full range of accountability attached to public servants. It is particularly important for government operatives to avoid accountability when it comes to free speech and censorship issues because we have rights, but businesses don't have to honor them. It's a private business, bro. You remember all those bullshit arguments that libertarians were making? Yes, yeah, stop making them because they aren't fucking private businesses. Back to the article, an early 2020 article from The Atlantic noted in particular how constitutional constraints like the First Amendment have caused most of America's censorship apparatus to be outsourced to the private sector. Ugh. 
As surprising as it may sound, digital surveillance and speech control in the United States already show many similarities to what one finds in authoritarian states such as China. Constitutional and cultural differences mean that the private sector, rather than the federal and state governments, currently takes the lead in these practices, which further values and address threats different from those in China. As a leak above shows, organizations like the Integrity Initiative uh, are not exactly private sector either at least in the traditional understanding of the term. As state-funded organizations accomplish state-funded national security goals, groups like the Integrity Initiative are better thought of as extensions of the security state that have evolved to operate with less accountability. Hello, FBI, CIA. Yeah, I see you, DHS. The list goes on. IRS. Nina, own evaluation as an apparent member of the Integrity Initiative to the head of a disinformation governance board within the Department of Homeland Security attests to the emergence of a public-private revolving door for faithful members of the disinformation industry. In any case, the Integrity Initiative represents the nation of the modern influence operation. Censorship is far more than just woke employees at big tech companies deciding whom to ban and which topics become trending quietly, but also constantly censorship and narrative control are flowing from the state, taking the form of cutout civil society groups, NGOs, and networks that control domestic information under the pretext of preserving national security and fighting disinformation. An entire industry, the disinformation industry, has emerged to, to, uh, to facilitate this process. Disinformation is part of the Integrity Initiative's motto for a very good reason. Disinformation is the skeleton key of modern domestic propaganda, just as ESG is the skeleton key to wokeness. The regime can now target political movements and specific politicians on the grounds that they are influenced by or enthralled to foreign disinformation. Previously, purely political questions like the Brexit movement or Catalan independence or Donald Trump's re-election are now assessed as serving Putin's agenda. And now, critically, the coordination of academics, journalists, and public intellectuals to secretly push a regime-backed political line is now justified as the needed counterbalance to disinformation narratives. The Integrity Initiative may be gone, but the disinformation that it helped uh, it helped to birth remains. If Americans want to fight back against censorship and a broader domestic war on terror conducted by their own state security apparatus, it is imperative to understand this disinformation industry in full. Strap in. We're just getting started. So apparently they're going to have follow-up articles on this. Whoa. Yo. Oh. Are you kidding me? So, Nina is an operative in this disinformation campaign world. And now they want her to rise the basically the highest level possible to deal with quote unquote disinformation, misinformation in America. What do you think that amounts to? Do you think she's going to be correcting disinformation or will she be planning it? I think it's the latter. I think it's very clearly the latter. And if it is disinformation, they will only be correcting it when it benefits one party and we know which political party that is and when it's disinformation that helps the democratic party oops i said it out loud uh she will not be correcting that whatsoever because that's what this is it is a deep state which nina says doesn't exist basically a cia operation this is nothing new we actually know about this for the longest time i forget all the names of the uh, the different operations but you can look them up operation mockingbird blue book all this stuff like this is what they've been doing. They have they have owned the nightly news our entire lives. And now they're getting better at it. As as the independent media sphere starts to take hold, they're finding ways to get influencers to now boost these things. And at the top of my list of influencers would be people like Max Boot and, you know, 
all the other scumbags that we hate so much. Uh, trying to think of their names right now, but it's kind of irrelevant. You know who I'm talking about. All the guys that we hate, they're, it's very probable that they are, uh, inf you know, influence peddlers. They're getting paid to do this stuff and they align with it politically anyways because they're scumbags. Why wouldn't they, right? Makes sense. Easy money. Uh, so yeah, everything that we've been thinking is probably happening. We now know. What do you know? It's been a bloodbath. Let's hear what Ben Bernanke, former Fed chair and utter scumbag, has to say about it. So Bitcoin and uh, other currencies, uh, cryptocurrencies whose, whose value uh, changes minute to minute, uh, they've been successful as a speculative asset. Uh, and people, you're seeing the downside of that right now. But they were intended to be a substitute for fiat money. And I think in that respect, they have not succeeded. Because if, it, if Bitcoin were a substitute for fiat money, you could use Bitcoin to go buy your groceries. Nobody buys groceries with Bitcoin because it's too expensive and too inconvenient to do that. I think he's actually right here. Uh, that was in Satoshi's white paper that that was the intention and they are not there yet. Now, to assume that Bitcoin has no future because it's not quite there yet, I think is absurd. And I will show you why you shouldn't listen to a word this guy has to say in a minute. Do that. Moreover, the price of groceries, the price of celery, varies radically day to day in terms of Bitcoin. And so there's no stability either in the value of Bitcoin. The yeah, there's no stability. Sometimes it goes up, whereas the US dollar always goes down. Very cool, Ben. Main use of Bitcoin is, is mostly for underground economy activities and things that often things that are illegal or illicit. So um, I don't think that uh, Bitcoin is going to take over as an alternative form of money. Um, it'll be around as long as people are believers and they want to speculate in this. But um, again, I don't think it's going to. And you be... don't you don't buy into the idea of it as being a store of value or some kind of version of digital gold. Well, as I said, it's a speculative asset, uh, but it's it's one that uh, whose underlying use value gold has underlying use value. You can use it to fill cavities. Uh, the underlying use value of, of Bitcoin is to do ransomware or something like that. So one of the <laughs> I just want to point out real quick how much he just downplayed the utility of gold. Gold is in electronics. It's, it's used for all sorts of things for him to, you know, oh, it's for fillings, for cavities. I mean, this guy is such a scumbag. The other risks that Bitcoin has is that it could at some point be subject to a lot more regulation. And the anonymity is also at risk, I think. I love that. The, the real downside is that the government could get involved. It's like, yeah, that is a downside. We're aware of that. That's why we're trying to fucking hide from you. At some point. So, you know, investors in Bitcoin should be should be aware of that. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. Oh, my God. I hate, I hate, 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 hate everybody involved with the Federal Reserve. I really do. <laughs> I know that's like kind of a libertarian bona fide, like you kind of have to hate everybody involved with the Federal Reserve, but man, visceral, visceral hate, instant visceral hate. <clears throat> and just so that you know, you shouldn't be listening to Ben Bernanke when it comes to Bitcoin, let's check out, check out what he had to say about the real estate bubble in the mid 2000s. Ben, uh, there's been a lot of talk about a housing bubble, particularly, you know, from the Fed, from all sorts of, of, uh, uh, different places. Can you give us your view as to whether or not there is a housing bubble out there? Well, unquestionably, housing prices are up quite a bit. I think it's important to note that uh, fundamentals are also 
very strong. We've got a, a growing economy, uh, jobs, incomes. We've got very low mortgage rates. Uh, we've got uh, demographics uh, supporting uh, housing uh, growth. We've got... Just so you know, at that time, I think interest rates were around 6.5% for a mortgage. So they were higher than they are today. But he still described them as very low. Just an interesting, you know, Overton window shift to point out. Uh, restricted supply in some places. So it's certainly understandable that the prices would go up, would go up some. Um, I, I don't know whether prices are exactly where they should be, but I, I think it's uh, fair to say that uh, much of what's happened is supported by the strength of the economy. Tell me, what is the worst case scenario? So we have so many economists coming on our air and saying, oh, this is a bubble and it's going to burst and this is going to be a real issue for the economy. Some say it could even cause a recession at some point. What is the worst case scenario if, in fact, we were to see prices come down substantially across the country? Well, I, I guess I don't buy your premise. It's a pretty unlikely possibility. We've never had a decline in house prices on a nationwide, nationwide basis. So <laughs> We've also never had a government that's so fucking stupid. Oh, ah. oh I, haven't, I haven't seen these clips in a couple of years, so it really enrages me. As someone who you know, deeply felt that recession, who you know, came out of college and was responsible for liquidating all of the carnage that these fucks created. It just makes my blood boil hearing them talk so blithely, blithely about it. Well, what I think is more likely is that house prices will slow, maybe stabilize, might slow consumption spending a bit. I don't think it's going to drive the economy too far from its full employment path, though. So would you agree with Alan Greenspan's comments recently that we've got some areas of the country that are seeing froth? Not necessarily a national situation, but certainly froth in some areas. You, you can see some types of air, uh, some types of speculation, investors uh, turning over condos quickly. So those sorts of things you see in some local areas. Um, I'm hopeful that, and I'm confident, in fact, that the uh, bank regulators will will pay close attention to the kinds of loans that are being made, making sure that <laughs> underwriting is done right. Um, but I, I do think that this is mostly a localized problem and not something that's going to affect the national economy. Spoiler alert, Ben. It, uh, the underwriters were not doing a good job, nor were the regulators, nor were you, nor was anyone, except for the hard money guys, because we actually know what the fuck we're doing. Ooh, you make me mad, Ben. So yeah, Ben Bernanke's a fucking idiot, and he's a liar, and he's a paid liar, but that shouldn't surprise you, because that's what they do, professionally, government fucking toady scumbags. This is why we should have no central banks. None, zero, never, ever, evil, criminal, abolish them all. This is why. Because these people are detached from actual economic knowledge. And I know you're going to say, Clint, he's gone. He's got a PhD, probably. He's gone to college for God knows how many years. It doesn't matter. They're dis they're, th we talked about disinformation in the open. This is actual disinformation. These people have no real world experience. And let me prove it to you. Because you probably won't believe me when I tell you that, but it's true. This is a list of the members of the FOMC. That's the Federal Open Market Committee. That means that they are the members of the Fed. Jobs outside the Fed. Mr. Williams, never. Bullard, never. George, never. Daly, never. Evans, never. Bostick, never. Montgomery, never. Black, never. Harker, academia, which basically means never. Barkin, McKinsey, which is an accounting firm that usually works government contracts. So like he's the closest and then Brainerd academia. So never. So you have 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yeah, so eleven of the twelve. Eleven of the twelve. No real-world business experience, and one who worked for McKinsey, which was where Pete Buttigieg also worked. So that tells you everything you need to know about how legit they are as an operation. So yeah, hey, they don't know fucking anything. These people don't run businesses. They don't understand shit like you and I do. They don't actually fucking do anything. So they go to God knows how many years of college. They come out, they go straight into this fucking government position, and then they ruin the world. They ruin the fucking world. That's what they do. I don't think I'm overstating it. We don't have capitalism in this country. You cannot have capitalism in a country or a world with central banks. You cannot have it because the most important financial indicator that every investment manager, any investor has to look at is the price of capital. There is nothing wrong with borrowing money. That's one thing that the, the Marxists get totally fucked up. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have to be able to do it in an educated fashion. And if the price of money is manipulated, which is the interest rate at which you will borrow it, you cannot make a calculation on risk anymore. Because that risk should be predicated on the investment that you're planning to do and the borrower's qualifications. If the money is, if the, the cost of money, the interest rate is being set by anything other than a free market, you can no longer evaluate risk properly. You can't do it. Stock prices, real estate prices, all asset classes, they are all elevated because interest rates have been held artificially low below where the market would set them. And trust me, as someone who managed hundreds of millions of dollars over my career, a real risk level for interest rates is north of seven, eight, usually 10%. That's what it is. And it would probably be higher if it weren't for the fact that the market just continually, continuously goes up because interest rates have been kept too low for too long, artificially low. When we say it's artificial, it's that's the truth. They just poof. 2%, 2.5%, like that's what they that's what they set it at. They get to set it. They get to set it. They get to set the not just the interest rate, but the amount of fiat that's circulating through the system. Think about how fucking crazy that is. It's the most important indicator for analyzing investments, for analyzing economic factors. You can't do it if you don't have a price of money that is set by the free market, and we don't have that, and we haven't had that for my entire life or yours. Do you understand now why I am running from all my investments? Because I can't count, I can't evaluate things. I can't do it. And as a fiduciary, which means that I have to put my investors capital over my own personal interests, I had to shut down my business. I had no choice. And any money manager out there that's not doing what I did, I think is not acting as a fiduciary or they're acting acting from such ignorance that you know, they could make a defense, I guess, from a from a position of ignorance. But this is the everything bubble. And I think we just saw the froth start to come off of it. I don't think this is the real hit yet. So, man, I hate these people. I hate them. And it, it's not like I hate them because they're bankers. I was a banker, kind of. You know, I was a money manager. Like, there's nothing wrong with being a banker if you're actually doing it with real investor capital with real borrowers where you actually take on the risk and the liability like that's all legit that's all on the up when you get to print money from thin air debasing the currency 
while simultaneously keep interest rates artificially low, which increases that debasement. You are a fucking scumbag and a criminal, and you should be put on trial. That's that's my honest belief about what central bankers amount to. They are criminals. Today's episode is also brought to you by The Daily Job Hunt. Go to careerhackers.com. Sign up for The Daily Job Hunt. It is a free daily newsletter that hits your inbox every morning, gives you some information on how to become a better job applicant, uh, gives you tips on interview techniques that are really revolutionary and new. Makes you think outside the box more than anything. It just gives you a, an opportunity to think freely, to think uh, new, you know, give you give you some actual tips on how to become someone that stands out. And if we are entering a recession, which I think we might already be in one, you're going to make sure you're going to want to make sure that you are on sound economic ground. Best way to do that other than becoming an entrepreneur, which is challenging and fraught with risk, want to be an employee at a good company that treats you right. And most companies have not been treating you right over the past couple of years. This is your opportunity. Go to careerhackers.com. Sign up for the daily job hunt. It's free. No excuses. Do it now. Careerhackers.com. If you think I'm overstating it when I refer to central bankers as criminals, I am not overstating it one iota. Check out what happens when central banks run amok. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I'm so sorry to say this. No gas, no fuel, and various essential medications. Yeah, one meal a day. That's Sri Lanka right now because their economy is falling apart. And sadly, this is not just about their local economy and their local government. We have been exporting our inflation to the rest of the world. That is how powerful having the reserve currency of the world is. That your stupid behavior can make poor people poorer. It can make poor people starve to death. It can make poor people revolt too. And I'm not saying that like every bad thing that happens in the world is America's fault, but we contribute to it. We really, really do. And this is why I am such an activist about this stuff is like, I feel terrible for these people. I feel terrible that that the central planners of the world, which we have the most say in because the central plan planners of America, the Fed, the federal government, the courts, um, they are the most powerful. And since we get to vote for them, you know, whether or not that's legit, I don't know. Uh, I feel some level of responsibility for what they do. And despite all my best efforts to try and prevent this insanity, when it came to lockdowns in particular, the bailouts of 0809, the bailouts of 2020 when we locked down unnecessarily, like, it's sick, man. It's absolutely sick what we do to these people. And it doesn't have to be like this. They shouldn't have this amount of power. I mean, this is why I describe myself as a populist, because I believe in, like, empowering the people, not in the sense that, like, a Marxist does, but in that I want people to have a fair shot. And capitalism, well, you still have winners and losers, you have a fair chance at least. You have an opportunity to work yourself out of it, to work yourself up. We don't have that. We don't have that because we don't have capitalism, because we have central banks. I don't feel like I'm overstating it when I say that like these people suffer because of our decision makers. And that's terrible. It's tragic. And this is not the worst. I mean, you have actual starvation that's happening in Yemen right now because of the Saudi war there that we're backing. So the military industrial complex paired with the central banks of the world 
and and the Fed mo most poignantly are just destroying people. They're destroying people's lives. So when you <laughs> when you start to think to yourself like, yeah, I wonder why people hate America. It's like, well, I don't think these people actually understand that the dollar and the Federal Reserve are doing it, but they certainly understand it when a, a bomb is dropped and it doesn't explode and it has, you know, made in the USA stamped on it. They get it then and they get radicalized. So it's our job, as far as I'm concerned, to stop this madness because it doesn't have to be like this. It really doesn't. Get us out of here on this. We all know that Twitter censors like crazy and the truth is slowly coming out. And Project Veritas did a great job today. I saw a tweet or a retweet of the video that Project Veritas dropped. Hopefully I can share it without getting in trouble. I'm giving all credit to Project Veritas and thank you to Tim Pool for putting me on the beat here. This is an absolutely crazy uh, investigative reporting <laughs> sting job. Better does not work. What do you mean? Capitalists. We weren't really operating in capitalist mode. We were very socialist. Like we're all like communist. Ideologically, uh, it does not make sense. Like because we're actually censoring the right, not the left. So if everyone on the right wing will be like, bro, it's okay to say, just gotta tolerate it. The left will be like, no, I'm not gonna tolerate it. I need a censor. Or else I'm not gonna be in power. I think that's a really insightful point. Uh, by the way, I love how Project Veritas gets these fucking losers to just spill their guts when they're on a date. <laughs> it works every time. They just honeypot these losers and they just tell them everything. Uh, you know, shout out to this guy, though. He seems to at least be thinking for himself to some extent. Uh, he goes in to explain how he uh, has become more of a leftist after he's been working there. But I think that that point that he made that that the left is not tolerant. They're not willing to have differences of opinion. They're not even allow, They're not even willing to allow us to be on there to have a difference of opinion. They want us gone. The right doesn't give a shit. And I feel the same way about the libertarians. We don't give a shit. We want debate. That's We thrive in it. And the right does too, to some extent. The left, on the other hand, wants zero debate, and they want you at least silenced, if not ended permanently, if you're unwilling to go along with their program. Sorry for the uh, audio quality. They're in a restaurant, so hopefully you guys can make it out. If not, uh, you can check it out on YouTube so you can see the uh, subtitles. So it does double right. Jackson. It's true. I don't know if the two parties can truly coexist on one platform. What do your colleagues say about it? Like, they hate it. Oh my god, I'm at least like okay with it, but some of my colleagues are like super left, 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 left. What are they saying? They're, they're like, this will be my last day if it happens. Has much changed since like Elon's coming out? A lot of change. A lot has changed. We're all like worried for a job. Why are you guys so worried? You know, jobs are stake. He's like, I think it's just like the environment. Like, you, you're there and you make all like this. We did all we can to like revolt against it. A lot of employees revolted against it. But at the end of the day, board of directors have a say and then they acted 
on their best interest because they didn't want to get sued. I basically went and worked like four hours a week last quarter. That's uh-huh. how it works mm-hmm. for a company. Yeah. How would you describe communism um, besides Twitter? Essentially, like everyone gets to do whatever they want. No one really cares about like ethics. you gotta love it you gotta love it everything we already know but man oh man yeah so they're uh they're communists over at twitter according to a twitter employee <laughs> it's great man and i love that he says uh you know the board the board has to vote their own self-interest because they don't want to get sued it's like yeah man because that's how the world works if you could offer it a price that's significantly above the current share price and you turn it down as a fiduciary, you're screwed. You should be sued into oblivion for that. The fact that he says that that's you know, self-interest or selfish, it's like, what do you want them to do? <laughs> you want them to lose everything just so that you can keep your four-hour-a-week job? <laughs> I love these people. I love it. I mean, the, the upside of this is like it really gives a window into what we're up against. And what we're up against are tremendously unimpressive people. They have all the accolades. They have all the paperwork that says that they're brilliant, but they're not. They're not smarter than us. They're simply not. I mean, you heard the guy. They they show up to work when they want to. Like, it's so it's such a like woke progressive mindset. They in the in the free market, these these people can't compete with us, which is why they don't want there to be a free market, because they can't compete with us. Because we're smarter, we're harder working, we're more ingenuitive. They can't fuck with us. So let's fuck them up. (laughs) Anyways, if you guys like my work uh, and you want to support me, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. Sign up to become a supporting member. After I went on uh, Part of the Problem a couple days ago, I have received dozens of DMs of people asking me for financial advice. I cannot give uh, financial advice broadly on this show Uh, If you have specific questions that you'd like to ask me, I can do so over on my Locals page. That's the only way that it makes any sense. Go to libertylockdown.locals.com. What I do there is every month or two, I will have an AMA where you actually get to come in on stream with me. You can lay out, if you want to do it anonymously, you don't have to turn your camera on, but I need to hear your financial situation. I need to hear your age, your income, your, you know, I can't, I can't financial plan just based off of a tweet going, Hey man, I'm young. What should I do? It's more complicated than that, okay? I need to know your skill sets. I need to know your age, your investment horizon, when you plan to retire. Like, come on, folks. You're better than this. You know I can't just answer broadly like, well, you should invest in this. Like, no, I'm not going to give that type of advice anyways because that's too dangerous because what if I'm wrong? But I can give really good advice when it comes to like broad guidelines as to what you should be doing based off of your age and where you're at in your life. So if you'd like to do that, libertylockdown.locals.com five or 10 bucks a month. It's not much. You get to support me and support my work, support, you know, independent creators like this. It's double benefit. And you get someone who has made millions of dollars advising 
some of the richest people on earth on how to manage their assets. So you can't get, you can't beat that. You'll never get a, you'll never get a deal for five bucks a month for someone like me to advise you on investing. You just, you can't find it. Sorry. So this is a deal. Go to libertylockdown.locals.com. I will catch you uh, tonight. Actually, I'm going to be doing a live stream with four incredible candidates, all of them out of New Hampshire. You'll probably already guess who they are, but I'm going to keep that a surprise. Uh, I may do it live, actually. I'm not sure yet, but uh, it's going to be a barn burner. Of course, thank you so much for tuning in. I will catch you soon. We're out.